Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 19th, 2013. Newcomers, as always, please use the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find lots of lot and uh, free audios for download, uh, going back over many years actually, where you can start to understand the big system and I take you through it, show you what happens over a hundred years ago, where people got together, formed big foundations, tax-free foundations or tax-exempt foundations, and they, they fund basically all the NGOs that uh, are always lobbying government. Government's working with them, of course, too. They also give them money as well to, to operate, to change society along a predetermined path to suit those who already basically ruled the world, commercially, that is, and financially, and, and have been doing an awful good job of it for the last hundred years. They brought world wars along. They made them happen to get countries to their knees and then amalgamated whole continents together and into the big blocks, trading blocks. And, of course, they came up with this idea at the Royal Institute of International Affairs, a private organization, uh, and the members have to be chosen. You can't apply for them. They, they come to you if they need you, that is. And there are branches across the world that are called the Council on Foreign Relations. So uh, they, they put presidents in, in different countries and prime ministers have done for a 100 years, according to their own, their own personal historian who got, uh, who's in charge of their own archives. They have their own version of history where they fill in all the blank bits and tell you what really happened, because they've been behind all these big changes. And they're bringing you into a scientifically controlled society, supposedly run by experts, and using the art of chronology. Chronology is the term that I use uh, of managing masses of people quite easily through tricks and, and schemes and so on, psychological warfare, you might say. It's worked awfully well, and uh, and in the days of entertainment and fiction where people read their mind bombs with stuff, it's working better than ever, because folk can't tell the difference anymore, almost what's real and what's not. So help yourself to the audios. Remember, too, you can get transcripts and all those sites for print-up of a lot of the talks I've given over the years, and go into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts and other languages for print-up. And remember, too, you bring me to you. You can help me take along by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you'll find out how to do it uh, on the website. And, but you can also use personal checks. Still remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can also use international postal money orders from the U.S. to Canada. You can send cash or use PayPal across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. And straight donations are always, always welcome. But it's very hard for most folk to believe, uh, of course, because they'd still believe in politics because the, the media's job is to keep you hammered with political statements and different politicians coming out, etc., to keep you thinking it's all very real. And that way you don't rebel. Every four or five years you vote instead. You vote the last lot out, hoping, hoping, and that's all it is, is a hope the next bunch will fulfill their promises, which they never do. They always break their promises immediately uh, and under the guise of a crisis popping up or whatever. And they go along with the same agenda. 
the same agenda uh, through the United Nations and all the, the groups belonging to the United Nations. That's the real democracy, you see. Uh, democracy, as far as the big boys are concerned, are all their paid uh, lobbyist groups or lobbying groups, non-governmental organizations. They're all part of the, the left wing um, and the right wing movements, of course, mainly left wing for the big, big changes, because everything to do with environments, uh, global warming nonsense and so on, the carbon taxes are coming in, energy taxes, etc. It's a change your entire way of living across the planet. Don't forget that. I mean entirely. It, it goes right in with Agenda 21 uh, and sustainable development, population reduction and reduction of consumption of, of all kinds. We're in a post-consumer society, according to the Club of Rome, who came out in the 1970s talking about this agenda. And they actually were given the task of finding a means to bring us all together to, to, under a crisis. And they, they hit upon the idea of global warming and so on. So that would fit the bill. So... We're living through a a big business plan, like with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix, talking about the system and where it's supposed to go, you see, because we're living through a big business plan. And I've talked before about uh, Agenda 21, the Millennium Project, have different names for the same thing now. I actually had it on the United Nations website, uh, advising their own members to start calling it other terms because the public were catching on about Agenda 21. That was a while ago. And, uh, and of course, it's not a, a very nice project at all because it, it's all meant to gradually steer us all, herd us all into a new way of living completely in a post-consumerist type society and bring us into austerity living. Now, under austerity, you understand all the, the, the extra money you would have is to go to paying for basic necessities uh, through, uh, through attacking on energy taxes, on everything that you purchase. Just like a value-added tax, when it's an energy value-added tax, how much did it cost to make this, this chocolate bar or whatever else you happen to, to, to purchase, you see? And how much global gas did it emit in the process, etc., etc., all this nonsense. And it's a whole level of jobs, of course, for the, the folk that do the bookkeeping, uh, who are awfully good at this kind of nonsense. But here's an article that ties in with it too, because remember, this also ties in with uh, with uh, a Darwinistic kind of a philosophy, uh, which these boys are right into, bringing down the size of the human herd, as one of them, to a small Malthusian in many ways. And so they've got to do things, they can't just say stop eating this and stop eating that, uh, or starve to death, for that matter, for some folks. Uh, they want to, to make it sound uh, sort of happy. That's how the public relations get into action and marketing. Everything that they sell you has to be sound very happy and good for you. And, and once you go along with thousands of nice happy ads with happy smiling faces, you know, of all models. But it says the EU is fast approaching food tyranny as the EU undertakes to radically transform people's dietary habits. Now, it's not just the EU. It's in concert with all the countries across the planet under the United Nations. This is the EU in partnership with the World Wildlife Fund. Now, the, the WWF is one of the, the most radical organizations out there, uh, all, all run at the top by elitist uh, people that, who are some of the biggest income earners on the planet. And um, I think Prince Philip's still up there in it too, or he was for many, many years, who has often said this is too many people. What he means is too many of the, you know, those kind of people at the bottom. That's what he means by that. 
But uh, here you have a, your, your typical strategy too, uh, that uh, uh, the EU Parliament, right, isn't listening to the public. It listens only to, to authorised uh, non-governmental organisations that are under charitable uh, philanthropic organisations, you see. And that's how the world is really run through these big, big uh, groups like the Rockefeller uh, group as well. They have them as well. Or the Ford Foundation. Or the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Royal Society, etc., etc. But it says, adopting healthy, sustainable diets, key opportunities and barriers. This is part of, part of the Live Well for Life, a pioneering project aimed to contribute towards the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from the EU food supply chain and demonstrate what sustainable diets could look like for different European countries. And it says it begins by stating the European superstate now needs to control our food diets. And here it goes, food consumption patterns in Europe are currently unsustainable. Whenever you hear unsustainable, that's Agenda 21, you see. And it says European food consumption is responsible for a large part of the EU's greenhouse gas emissions. Nothing to back that up is to make statements like this, you see. It is accepted that there needs to be a reduction in global greenhouse gas emissions which are contributing to climate change. And again, another statement, nothing to back it up. It's accepted, it says, right? It says, Live Well for Life is a pioneering project which aims to contribute towards the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions from the EU food supply chain and demonstrate what sustainable diets could look like for different European countries. And then they go on to say that the report writes that it's a summary of the efforts of the Live Well for Life and network of European food stakeholders to find the most important social and economic barriers and opportunities for sustainable diets in Spain, France, Sweden and the EU countries. It's no secret that environmentalist, left-wing, vegetarian, authoritarian wackos have had their eye on dictating human, human eating habits for a long time, and we've had a hard time stomaching our appetite for meats on our plates and barbecue grills. Before too long, we'll have to content ourselves with celery and carrot sticks. You might be lucky to get that, actually, or lucky to afford them eventually. On pages 11 and 12 of the report, it says the Italian Varilla Center for Food and Nutrition has identified the rise of the responsible consumer. So see here, you go to get good ones and see that's a good one. A responsible consumer is a good person. A little gold star there, you see. And then it goes on to say in what it terms uh, consumer actors, sustainable savvy uh, consumers who want to be involved in the food production process. According to research, people's dietary habits will have to radically transform in order to meet the dietary nutritional needs of a growing population in a world that's more affluent and more urbanized, and they'll have to take responsibility for their choices too, something that may come as a shock to the average postmodern consumer. A growing number of consumers are open to the idea of changing their diets. For example, in the UK, government research found 62% of residents were very or fairly willing to give up bread meats. Now, again, remember, polls are always fudged to make you uh, go along with the majority. It's a very simple tactic. It really does work awfully well. And because unfortunately, most folk are herd followers. They follow the leaders, you see. They want to be part of the majority. That's true. And it says, well, 36 were very or fairly willing to give up dairy products. Dutch research has identified a growing interest in flexitarian eating, a vegetarian diet that occasionally includes meats. Flexitarian eating, so that's a new term for you. Here we note that the target food staple is meat and dairy products. Well, you see, they want to get uh, farms, a lot of farms out of the way uh, of growing, uh, of having herds. 
of cattle or sheep or anything else for that matter that can be used as food and get into biofuels. You see, it's a big part of it too because they use our tax money to fund these big corporations for their biofuel projects. And they're also going to get into GM-modified food. In other words, what they want to do in an interdependent world is to destroy any personal, never mind national, but personal independence. You understand that? I hope you understand that. It's very important to understand. You have to be completely dependent on your water being owned by some foreign company, uh, on the food coming from some foreign company, and everything that you need coming from some foreign company as well. That's called interdependence. But it says here, health is a motivator for, for behavior change more than any concern about the environment. UK government research into attitudes and behavior around sustainable food found that health is the most important factor for consumers because they're going to be terrified about the way what you eat. Uh, mind you too, they're all eating the, the new stuff too. It's, it's loaded with uh, all the GM, uh, grown, the GM oils that they're putting out there from GM crops. And, uh, and the body can absorb this stuff, but it can't get rid of it once it's, it's laid on its fat. They know this too. They've known this for donkey's years. That's a long time of donkey's years, you know. It goes without saying that consumers should want really healthy food, but at the same time, they also want to experience eating pleasure. I'm not kidding, me. Eh? Because you don't know what you're eating today. There's no taste in most of the junk that you, you purchase. It says each has to decide the balance uh, that is right for him or herself. It clearly becomes obvious in the reports language that the EU bureaucrats think that consumers are just too stupid to make the right decisions. Well, actually, bureaucrats do think, all kinds of bureaucrats, just matter of department, and think we're all just too stupid to make the right decisions. Just read the report one finds the terms like unaware or confusion or limited knowledge or lack of understanding, to name a few when discussing the consumer. The report is just one of the first steps in the EU's scheme to take over the human diet. And then the report ends, Going forward, live well for life. We'll explore these opportunities and barriers as we find ways to adopt sustainable diets in the pilot countries and the policy changes needed for a move towards sustainable diets across the EU. Well, they're going to put massive taxes, as you all know, on meats and so on and products uh, to, to force you off them. Uh, and, and that's how they do it too. The power of the purse is always used in the end uh, to make you force you into eating uh, the junk uh, that you don't know what it is, in fact. You can show it's generally modified for sure. And, and that's actually worth pennies and you pay pounds or dollars for. That's the reality of the world we live in. But again, to remember, once you're, you don't get all the proteins that you need, etc., uh, and enzymes that come off animal food too, uh, your body uh, lacks a lot of different things. And I do, I have met vegetarians who've got a lot of problems. I really have. I don't say they all have, but uh, maybe some know how to make it up and other things, but most of them don't. And you can have a lot of other problems involved. And, and also, to, and apart from that too, in countries like Canada, you can't, I mean, you, you don't know what you're eating here because even in the vegetable line, everything here pretty well is, is modified, Jim, uh, and, uh, and it's not labeled. And we were the test pilot country for 10 years before it leaked out from Britain, of all places, that we were the test pilot. They've been feeding us this junk because the government made a secret agreement with Monsanto and others. This is a democratic country. Oh, what a joke, eh? A secret agreement to feed the, the stuff on the Korean public and watch your health go down the tubes. Everyone's got allergy symptoms of all kinds now and weird things like this. 
And also, too, training is awfully important. We get trained all the time. And you get trained through all the movies and fiction you watch as well. That's where you get all your political correct updates, is through dramas and serial dramas and things like that, where the good guys that you identify with will come up with the most outrageous things. But because you've already identified with them, you'll say, well, yes, it can't be. Then you start parroting the same rubbish yourself as you get your updates, you see. But you also do it with uh, children. Children are, are, are famous. I remember watching... Uh, some documentary years ago about McDonald's and other fast food companies that had their own uh, summer camps. And, and the parents, the silly parents, were sending their children off to these summer camps. And, uh, and you saw the children sitting like little choirs outside singing all, all, all the, the, the jingles, all the jingles for the fast food industry. I mean, this is what we're getting taught to sing, to ensure that there's future customers, you see. I mean, parents are pretty stupid at times, aren't they? They they really have been brought up in Disneyland. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the Matrix, talking about really how dumb people can be and, and talking about how McDonald's uh, took children to the, to the camps, you know, the, the, the holiday camps and taught them all the jingles and so on. Because Bernays said this, always make sure you have future customers. And so here they are thinking that this, um, this character dressed up like a clown is, is real and, and so on. This, this McDonald character and they're learning to do all the jingles and, and it's going to stay with them all through their lives and sure enough they'll become customers at the same stores and, and so will their children if they've anything to do with it but it happens not just with them it's with with all kinds of things and plus these, these big companies too the greatest trick is that, that their big ads say we're part of your community we're part of you no they're, they're international companies folks you know that's what they are and, and but we're conned left right and centre by simple simple little tricks and repetition you see but here's, here's the, the, but one of the big tricks too is, is always to go for the children's essay. And here they have participants at the Boy Scouts of America's National Jamboree. It says they're turning each other into virtual creepy crawlies by the thousands this week. It's just a fun article, see? Fun. It's part of an educational game Virginia Tech researchers designed to show how disease spreads. Now, it won't be that simple, folks, because it'll also bring in vaccine companies. Who will help fund it, you see, guarantee you, uh, and so on. And there are people getting big money out of this. And it says the virus tracker combines technology with the age-old game of tag. So you use a natural little game and use the children. The 10-day jamboree scouts can earn points by infecting other players through a virus on barcoded labels that are attached to their scouts' IDs. There you go. Codes can be activated at scanning stations or by smartphones that have downloaded the virus tracker app. Individuals and troops that amass the most points each day win. And the goal is to stay human. This is Colin Slevin, 15 whose, whose scout troop is based in Germantown, Illinois, it called the chance to turn other scouts into zombies really cool, you see. And players can sign up when they visit the Virginia Bion Information uh, Informatics Institute tent at the cloud, a technology area at the Jamboree where scouts also learn about robotics, engineering, computer science, and mobile communications. So here's big, big business involved in, in again, brainwashing these youngsters into this, you see. 
Slapney heard about the virus program from other scouts and had to try it for himself. After filling out a brief computer survey, so once again they put all their information on computer, he tagged four other people before his brief rampage was stopped by an approaching thunderstorm, which forced officials to shut down the system. He said it was easy, etc. He says, once you're infected, he says, I got you and I win. So there you go. Eagle Scout, and he shows you different ones too. Said, said the, uh, so another guy said the virus track was a great way to meet new friends. See, these are, this is a complete PR article. You see, public relations article. He handed out about a dozen labels Friday in hopes to infect a couple dozen more campaigns, uh, campers before he leaves. And he says, if I walk past people and if I see they don't have one of the zombie stickers, I ask, have you been infected? Uh, usually it leads them to asking what, which is a perfect opportunity to talk about the virus tracker. And they go through different ones and so on. We're all also involved in it. Some of the participants' uh, gamer tags included names like Black Plague and Blame the Zombie. Uh, these, are, these are, I guess, science too. Black Dot Plague and Blame Dot the Zombie. It's not the first time technology and the undead have banded together. In 2005, the Humans vs. Zombies tag game was made popular at Goucher College in Maryland. It quickly spread to college campuses and communities nationwide. It says that version uses uh, socks, foam dirt, uh, dark guns, and red or green bandanas and requires reporting tag zombies on a website. The virus tracker system has been used twice before at the USA Science and Engineering Festival. This week marks the first time the virus tracker app has been used and the first time the institute has been to the Scouts Jamboree. Researchers using the, the data collected at the Jamboree to create an infection tree to show how an individual uh, scouts spread uh, the zombie virus within the population. The data will be shown how diseases such as flu can become pandemics. At times, here you go, see, vaccines are sent out through the system to turn the zombies human again, if the scout answer an epidemiology question correctly. The virus tracker keeps count of things such as the number of infected and inoculated participants. Scouts without access to smartphones can still register by computer at the tent and distribute labels to other scouts thereby infecting them with the virus. The first thing everybody says is, is it real? Colin said, and we say, we say, no, it's not real. We're not giving you the flu. We kind of laugh about that. So there you go. And that's how you get uh, propaganda out. You see, you go for innocence and who haven't a clue. You use natural game technique and away they go with it. And they'll think, oh, the vaccine. Because once you become a zombie, you can get the vaccine. Supposedly the vaccine will stop you being a zombie, even if you become a zombie. Many vaccines don't quite work that way once you've got a disease. It doesn't prevent something that way. But uh, this is the world we live in. Uh, and again, parents will, will be, oh, that's nice, that's nice, dear. And, you know, as, as youngsters explaining it to them and uh, and think nothing more about it. It's quite simple. It's all training. We all get trained, and that's my education's for as well. And don't forget, too, any organization that's already pre-existing, like Bernays says, is fantastic. You don't have to go out and make an audience. Uh, they're already there. You use existing organizations. He says, look in, go into towns, look for churches especially, and community groups and so on. And again, you get the scouts, and there you have a ready-made group. Quite simple. And also, Obama's executive HIV initiative uh, conspires with the United Nations with billions in profits heading to global financiers. And it says, uh, so the AIDS crisis is back again. Now we're told there's a perfectly viable national and global solution waiting in the wings. Obama's latest executive ordered the HIV care continuum initiative as a move towards mandatory HIV testing 
for Americans visiting their doctor for routine health checkups. They're going to make it nationwide mandatory. That's the start of it. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Here we are cutting through the matrix, talking about the new proposal to test everyone in the U.S. for HIV, ages 15 to 65. And it says here, in a review of the recent executive order titled HIV Care Continuum Initiative, the true function of Obamacare comes into view as another incremental erosion of Americans' constitutional rights. In addition to the violation of individual rights, we see a controlled future by large global corporations or organizations and pharmaceutical companies tied to so-called philanthropic families. Guess which ones they'll be, as always, in the U.S. In a report by the United Nations, uh, in obviously titled Treatment 2015, we see a detailed outline that mentions some of the same goals contained in the recent presidential EO and executive order. And most importantly, this proves that the Obama administration has already conspired with the UN, leaving American voters completely shut out of the, the democratic process in favor and favor of new global governance initiatives. Well, that's been done before by pretty well all the governments. Obama's uh, new uh, executive order HIV testing provision be directed by this report uh, from the United Nations and all these links are on this one article here which I'll put up tonight this is in achieving universal access to HIV treatment an important milestone is then passed when the, the annual increase in the number of adults receiving HIV treatment exceeds the number of adults becoming newly infected with HIV this transition first conceptualized and promoted by the United States President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief in its 2012 blueprint for creating an AIDS-free generation is referred to as a prog- a programmatic tipping point when that response begins to outpace the epidemic itself. In another section with the subheading titled Reconceptualizing HIV Testing, there's more evidence showing a push towards dutiful testing. So it's your duty to be tested. Although much has been accomplished in promoting uh, knowledge of HIV status, much more must be done to fully leverage the HIV testing as a gateway to HIV treatment. The answer seems likely as most of the statistical information used by presidential uh, executive orders seem culled from that very report. So it's an ongoing thing, you see. Everything that they do, if you just go back in and, and, and the history, you'll find they've mentioned the same things before, these little buzzwords and so on. It's important to note that the UN provides many such directive reports supplied by the Rockefeller family. This is in our 21st Century Wire report. Yesterday we cited the connections readers need to understand who is likely to be pulling the strings for HIV care initiatives signed by the President. And according to a report by the Council on Foreign Relations, which is just uh, the magazine put out by uh, uh, the CFR themselves, and their magazines say, the global health regime, we see some of the chosen parties that could be pushing these mandates behind the scenes. Merck Pharmaceuticals is said to have initiated efforts to promote universal access to HIV treatment, and later the William J. Clinton Foundation negotiated dramatic price reductions and generic manufacturing of antiretroviral drugs. And it goes on to say the report, same report from the CFR says, in all, more than 40 bilateral donors, 25 UN agencies, 20 global and regional funds, and 90 global initiatives target health activities and assistance. 
Note also that two weeks ago, President Obama was joined by Bill Clinton and George W. Bush during his African holiday, where Bush was praised for his gift to Africans of $30 billion earmarked during his previous presidency for HIV-AIDS treatment in Africa, part of the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, also known as PEPFAR, uh, part of the Global Health Initiative. Now, the stuff they give Africa, of course, was, was the stuff that they would not give to, to the Western world. Uh, don't forget that all these, these particular drugs were meant uh, to, as trial cancer treatments. And, uh, and, and it ended up killing them, the, the patients far quicker than the cancers were. That these are the ones that are given to Africa, etc. There's a long, long history of it. And it says, are these three presidents really just acting as sales reps for Big Pharma? The Telegraph reported last week that Mr. Obama praised his predecessors, his predecessors, AIDS relief program, which has spent more than 30 billion, uh, pounds, that's and close to 60 mostly African countries, and saved the lives of more than 1 million people living with HIV or AIDS. Well, that's just pure propaganda, because, I mean, they're not counting. This is following the money mandatory HIV testing in the U.S. as a license to print money for the companies who will be producing what's already the most expensive HIV test in the world today. So it's not at all a stretch to describe federally funded programs like these, whether they be in the U.S. or Africa, as bailouts for the medical industrial complex and their shareholders, whose majority comprise of the top names in the global banking syndicate. Because it's the same bunch that run the big uh, banks, folks, that, that run all the, the pharma and so on. They have the majority stocks and so on. It says here, the Rothschild-backed bank, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, holds most of the major shares in Merck Pharmaceuticals. And 2007, Merck had a huge setback as the drugs they created to combat HIV gave people a greater risk of infection. However, the Rothschilds have been extremely instrumental to the crafting of the global directive issued by the UN. It has been well documented that Rockefellers and Rothschilds fund and support similar cogent enterprises. After the announcement of Obama's latest executive order, you can be certain that certain big pharma cores share prices are set to skyrocket. And that's true. I mean, this is a, it's all big business, you understand. It's all big business and massive profits. And don't forget, too, that they have a lot of the taxpayers' money to fund this stuff as well. The financial and political threads in the story should come as no surprise to anyone who's followed the exploits of mega market makers. It's a long history between the Rockefeller family, the UN, the CFR. David Rockefeller was the youngest director of the secretive think tank. In addition to that, the Rockefellers have financial ties to pharmaceutical corporations, and I'll put the link up on that too, that have developed antiretroviral agents for HIV testing. Gilead Sciences, which is backed by the Rockefellers, stands to gain quite a bit uh, from their FDA-approved HIV blocking pill called Truvada. Truvada has been said to reduce viral transmission up to 75%. And that's the words for it has been said to. <laughs> On the surface, this seems like a positive achievement. However, when one looks into the halls of biodevelopment, we see the possibility of much more sinister past, as revealed by Alan Cantwell, junior uh, medical doctor. This is much more likely to uh, spread animal viruses to human beings. It's a lar- largely forgotten special virus cancer program. SVCP is called. This research program was responsible for the development, the seeding and the deployment of various animal viruses which were capable of producing cancer and immune system damage when transferred between animal species and into human cells and tissue. Uh, I've no doubt about it at all myself that this HIV was uh, a created thing. Anyway, I'll put this thing again, uh, this link up tonight too for those who want to go through it. And a bit of trivia here too. And it's from the New York Post. It says, um, 
a man blows whistle on healthcare chain uh, run by his own dad uh, for fraud. For fraud, it says. Park Avenue Medical Associates, which runs 120, 120 healthcare facilities across New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, settled Medicare fraud allegations brought by the son of the chain's chief medical officer and founding partner, The Post Learned. The Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office, which picked up the whistleblower's complaint in March, agreed to settle a probe, and Park Avenue Medical agreed to pay a $1 million settlement, according to documents filed in Manhattan Federal Court Thursday. Understand that corruption is the norm through the whole field of medicine, and I think it's in everything today. We live in a very corrupt society. It's only because the public are so well trained that businessmen are so upfront and, and, and respectable, uh, good repute and all this stuff through, through docudramas and movies, that we believe this stuff. And in fact, will it all happen? But I mean, yet you get any business, uh, especially today as you turn them out universities with all their business management courses, with the greed that they instill in them and actually help to, to enhance. And, and it's nothing but corruption. And when you get a, a, basically these, uh, once you get into sort of the healthcare, these, 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 these big, big chains are, are filing for all the claims that they put in for testing and all. you don't know what they've tested for. Nobody does. And there's no company could got enough staff to check into them all and actually follow up and see did they actually do all these tests? They're all at it, you see. And in the national health system, you get the same thing too. In Canada, they've had doctors here. Who, who've, who are claiming like a million dollars a year uh, because they, they put through that they're seeing so many thousands of patients a week, and some of them are getting awfully encouraged by it and, and doing like a thousand a day. <laughs> this is the, this is the joke of it all. It's up to them to put down uh, how much they, they're seeing and how much they're putting out, etc. And the corruption is built into the system in present society, especially in a day, an age of moral relativity. They've all been taught there's no right and wrong. It's what you can get away with. Anyway, it says in the settlement, Park Avenue Medical admits to instances of overbilling. And the whistleblower, Zachary Wilson, is sure to get a nice slice of the settlement as cases filed under the so-called False Claims Act allow for bounties of between 15 and 25%. The money won't make the family gathering any easier. Anyway, it says his father, Dr. Mitchell Wilson, is the chief's, uh, the chain's chief medical officer and founding partner. The son accused the chain, including celebrity doctor, TV doctor, Jeffrey Gardier, of repeatedly billing Medicare for services that were not medically necessary or that did not comply with Medicare rules. Gardier, for example, allegedly used a code for comprehensive psychological exams, one that tends to be used just once at the start of a new case, seven times on a single patient in just a three-month period, the complaint said. So uh, this is the kind of games that they play, and, and the government, using your money, just pays up, you see. That's how it's done. And also, too, this is an interesting article because um, it says Obama's UN pick vows push for Israeli seat on Security Council. And it's so amazing to me because Samantha Power, uh, when she was moving up and trying to claim her name, was, used to be all left-wing and so on. And she'd do all the, left, the usual left-wing stuff and hitting at the usual left-wing targets. And she used to hit at Israel. And... Uh, and to get her current position, by the way, should be get cleared by a whole bunch of Jewish organizations. Because I read the articles from the Jewish organizations. 
that were some of them are really ardent and fundamental. And she went through the three different ones. One, one of the speeches she gave, she burst into tears in front of the, the panel of them. And they eventually cleared her and said, she's, she's okay, yada, yada. So here she's got the job. So, so anyway, Samantha Power, Obama's nominee to represent the U.S. and the United Nations, uh, says, uh, U.S. President Barack Obama's U.S. nominee has vowed to fiercely back Israel and, and fight to help the regime win a, a non-permanent seat on the U.N. Security Council. Remember, she's married to Sunstein. The, the guy who's into basically psychological warfare in the general public. Anyway, so Samantha Power made the pledge at her Wednesday confirmation hearing at the Senate. She's widely expected to replace U.S. Ambassador at the United Nations, Susan Rice. The United States has no greater friend in the world than Israel, she says. We share security interests. And she says we share core values and so on. Sunstein is, Sunstein is her, her husband. And so we share core values and we have special relationships with Israel. The power told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. The long-time Obama confidant and the White House official even went on to attack the UN General Assembly and the UN Human Rights Council for supporting Palestinian people and condemning Israeli violations of their rights. And just as I've done as President Obama's UN advisor, the White House, I will stand up for Israel and work tirelessly to defend it, she said. She's a career, a good career movie. Uh, and she's power promised to support Israel's bid for a seat in the UN Security Council, where Tel Aviv, due to its poor relations with the Middle Eastern countries, wants to be admitted as a representative of the Western Europe. So I, I commit to you wholeheartedly to go on an offence, as well as playing defence on the legitimization of Israel, and we will make every effort to secure greater integration of Israeli public servants in the United Nations system, she said. She also pledged to oppose any efforts by the Palestinians to seek greater recognition in the world's bodies. On November 29, 2012, Palestinians won a UN General Assembly vote, which earned the status of non-member observer state for Palestine at the world's body. She says we need to deter the Palestinians in any way we can, power stressed. The 42-year-old's remarks at the hearing are expected to have distanced her from previous unflattering comments about Tel Aviv, and many expect her to be easily confirmed by the Senate. On one occasion, Power had confirmed major human rights abuses against the Palestinians in 2002 and acknowledged that the U.S. foreign policy shift away from the support of Israel could mean angering the pro-Israel lobby. But as I mentioned before, she went in front of a whole bunch of uh, Jewish groups, actually, uh, all, uh, all pro-Israel groups, Zionist groups in, in the U.S., and they, they cleared her eventually. So she, she was cleared as being okay. Uh, she made her deal, I guess. That's how it's done in the career moves, isn't it? You know, you, you, you either sink yourself or you go along and you, you know, you play the game. And also FBI withholds autopsy of Zarnev's associate who was shot in the head during questioning. It's an accident, eh? You get shot in the head during questioning. So the FBI has ordered a Florida medical examiner's office not to release the autopsy report of a Chechen man who was killed during the FBI interview in May over his ties to one of the suspected Boston Marathon bombers. The autopsy report for Ibrahim Todeshev, 27, killed by an FBI agent during an interrogation which took place in his apartment on May 22nd, was ready for release on July 8th. However, the FBI barred its publication seeing an internal probe into his death is ongoing. So is the FBI blocking uh, us knowing uh, the topsy? The FBI has informed the office that the case is still under investigation and thus not to release the document, it said. The forensic report is expected to clarify the circumstances of Todeshev's death. 
The Bureau's statement issued on the day of the incident provided no details of what transpired, saying only that the person being interviewed was killed when a violent uh, confrontation was initiated by the individual. Now, I don't know how many agents were in the room at the time. There's quite a few, and I'm sure the guy would be sitting in a chair. That's how the interview. So uh, I don't know what he could have done. You know. It says, back in May, Abrams, uh, Todeshev's father, showed pictures of his dead son's body at a press conference in Moscow, revealing he had been shot six times. Six times. He says, I only saw things like that in movies, shooting a person, and then the kill shot. Six shots in the body, one of them in the head, uh, the father said. The medical examiner's office promised to check on a monthly basis whether the FBI is ready to grant permission for release of the top secret report. So, this is all happening. Uh, I don't know if people really realize, and probably don't, they distance themselves when they see, well, this guy was from a different country, really. No, he was, these guys were all spent years in the U.S., so they were citizens and so on. And uh, I don't think they realize this could happen to anybody. The, the, when governments do this, this is the sort of thing you would, you would hear about through the grapevine coming out of, of the old Soviet Union or East Germany. And here you have it happening here. Also, too, is there no limit to what the government will privatize? Everything's public-private now as they privatize everything to corporations. All the things that belong supposedly to the public because uh, generations had, through taxation, had built up the big, the big uh, corporations, their gas, everything, electricity, you name it, water. And it says, uh, UK plasma suppliers t- sold to U.S. private equity firm Bain Capital. And so it says the government is, was accused of gambling the UK's blood supply by selling the state-owned NHS plasma supplier to a US private equity firm. The Department of Health overlooked several healthcare or pharmaceutical firms and at least one blood plasma specialist before choosing to sell an 80% stake in plasma resources. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and I always look, sort of look at countries and all, through all the propaganda and so on. And some of these big corporations are representing massive corporations and the government certainly do. And, uh, and when you see these trade deals going on, and remember too, this is a very old idea set up a hundred years ago by the Royal Institute of International Affairs, a world where they create trading blocks with free trade. Anyone who wouldn't join them, they'd simply ostracize, they wouldn't trade with them at all. And, and so you could, you basically just, um, oust them because they could get no imports and so on and they'd go bust. So it's, it's a, it's, it's either join us or else type of idea, you see. But once you join them, again, you, now you have a whole bunch of new laws to, from the World Trade Organization. Again, they're another private organization set up by the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Who makes all the judgments on, on, on legal decisions? And then, then also tie it together financially, etc., etc. And we know that the US and Canada brought on it together because the CFR drafts up all these negotiations for, for joining. Uh, they did the one for the, the whole of Europe amalgamation. They did the one for the NAFTA. Was, so a private organization drafts it up for presidents and prime ministers to sign, which they did. So here's the same thing going on. It says, the U.S. has already done the one for Europe last week, I think it was. They signed it, this, this trade deal too, to join them again at the hip. It says, the European Union's top diplomat in Ottawa said Wednesday that the bloc's long-term sought free trade deal with Canada might not be completed until next year. So Canada's in the same deal, you see. Ambassador Matthias Brinkman 
and has softened his criticism of Canada over the stall talk, saying the delayed deal could prove better for Canada in the long run. Actually, he was really ticked off. Brinkman, who leaves Canada this month after a four-year posting, painted a rosy picture of the four-year-old talks. Four-year-old talks have been doing this, eh? saying it's down to fine-tuning in the final stretch. Now, that's how they joined the whole of the European countries together, was through the same deals, remember, folks, step by step by step by step. He predicted negotiations might not be complete until 2014, but be worth the wait, he says, especially for Canadian consumers. Well, they always bring us into it at the end, like, you know, we're going to benefit from this. I mean, we'll, we'll probably end up building, put more money in to bail their banks out over in Europe. You wait and see. This agreement will be uh, maybe signed this year or next, he says, and then you have a ratification period. He said, Canada's Trade Minister Ed Fast said last week he remains uh, absolutely confident the deal will be done, but did not offer a time frame. The Harper government faces growing political pressure over the stalled talks after bold predictions last year of a deal by the end of 2012. A trade pact with Europe ahead of the 2015 federal election would be a, a political win for the government as first comprehensive deal with an advanced market. Now, if you're in countries like Canada now that really aren't making anything, all the, all the factories are pretty well gone and stuff like that, all you have left is raw resources or, or, or agriculture. And I remember too, are they going to make a separate type of, of non-GMO uh, farm market in Canada just for export only? Because Europe doesn't want the stuff, you see. Or are they, are they certain they're going to get the GM stuff into Europe? One of the two, you see. Brinkman's upbeat tone makes a, a, a shift from his recent suggestion that Canada's stalling prevented the deal from coming together February. He said that the EU was ready to sign then, but that it takes two to tango. And anyway, it says, uh, on Wednesday, uh, Brinkman stressed the deal will ultimately be a win-win and there are unresolved issues in agriculture, intellectual property, financial services, as the big bankers want to, you see, and provincial procurement uh, were, were closer to agreement than claimed by some insiders. And he says, he suggested Canada had more to gain. And that's an ambiguous term, Canada. It's done about the corporation or what, what, what you know. Like, the, the potential is so huge for Canada, much more for us, he says. Because he's, he's, he's very altruistic, he says. So he's doing it for a favour, right? The potential is so huge for Canada, much more for us, meaning Europe. Brinkman says, not only the access to Europe's 500 million consumers, well, it's for the big banks and so on. The European Union has rich consumers and they have money to spend. Well, what do we make in Canada? Well, from Hamish Mosser, Frontier, Canada, as good night to me, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>